5 through 13. Psalm 116, 1 through 7. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. O my soul, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Luke eleven five through 13 And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, just as our Lord and Savior instructed us to, we ask, we seek, we knock. We ask you to make yourself known to us. We're hungry and thirsty. We're needy. We're poor, naked, and miserable and blind. And we come that you would um, come and clothe us. That you would make good on your promise. In Christ's name, amen. Well, for the next three weeks... We're going to take on the topic of prayer. And this is part of both an ongoing theology curriculum that we develop through sermons and our um, community groups, our small groups, but also as a setup to our week of prayer, which starts tomorrow. We'll be having prayer in the morning, in the afternoon, at the office, at the e- in the evening. And um, it's a good chance for us to be able to just think for these next couple weeks about prayer. And I want to structure it around the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And right off the bat, as I say that, there are two things that we have to grapple with. One is a principle in the Christian faith that prayer is personal. And by that, I don't mean it's meaningful to us personally, but it's actually communication with persons. I was reading uh, some research this week, and it was on the psychological disorder of anthropomorphizing. And it's this tendency uh, that they observed in people as they do this research of a tendency for people to ascribe human qualities to things that are non-human. 
objects, inanimate objects, gadgets. And so one of the experiments they do is they have a photo of a doll and then a photo of a real person. And they basically gradually move the photos. And they noticed that people that report to being very lonely have difficulty making the transition. They have difficulty seeing the difference between the object and the real person. Loneliness actually causes a distortion in understanding what is impersonal and what is personal. And I was thinking to myself, there's a spiritual parallel here. Of course there is. That's why I'm bringing it up in a sermon, right? There's a spiritual parallel here. The Bible tells us that one of the results of sin is that we become alienated from God. We become cut off from God. We become alienated. We become lonely. And one of the effects of that is you see people ascribing to impersonal things like energy, the universe, a force, God. Having been cut off in our relationship, our tendency then is to look to these things that are objects and call them God, call them personal. But what the Christian faith does, as God connects you to himself through Jesus Christ, you begin to understand that God is personal. And therefore, prayer is personal. As we understand the way he's reconciled us to himself, we then no longer can treat it as if it's just lobbing grenades of need up to some object in the sky. The second principle, other than prayer is personal, is prayer is communion. One of the local pastors here, Stuart McAlpine, who has been in our congregation before, has just written a wonderful book on prayer called Just Asking. And uh, Stuart will actually be our retreat speaker this next fall. And I'll be drawing upon this book. I want to commend it to you as a resource over the next couple of weeks. It's not a big book to read. But in it, Stuart says that prayer is conference calling with the Godhead. That's what prayer is conference calling with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you see this in the book of Ephesians. You see this in the gospel where we read, Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's appropriate that our communication engage all three persons of the Godhead, the Christian faith teaching. We have a tri-personal God, a God who is known in three persons. And so as we work through this, I want to spend the first week on the Father, the second week on the Son, the third week on the Spirit, looking at all in prayer. And this week, a Father who hears, a Father who is faithful and attentive. So a faithful Father. This week, I came upon an interesting playlist. It was called 20 Great Songs About Bad Dads. And the artist ranged, uh, Kelly Clarkson, Tyler the Creator, Death Cab for Cutie, Jay-Z. Bruce Springsteen had a lyric that said, Well, Daddy worked his whole life for nothing but the pain. Now he walks these empty rooms looking for something to blame. You inherit the sins, you inherit the flames. Adam raised a cane. And as you look at the variety of artists, race, age, style, 
course, we understand that this phenomenon of the struggle with a father is not just one people group or one age or one culture. And even as I say, a father who hears, even in this room, it brings up many feelings. For some of you, affirmation. For others of you, absence. For some of you, security. For others of you, hostility. For some of you, warmth. For others of you, wounds. So what do we do with that? Well, one of the things God intends to do when he brings people into his community and his church is he sets on a program of reparenting them. I think I may have mentioned once before, this was several years ago, in a, a member, some dear members that are no longer with us uh, have moved away, but I was doing their premarital counseling. And I was talking about the importance of shaping influences in our families and making sure we pay attention to that. And one, at one point, I, uh, I would say carelessly said, you know, after all, if we, if we don't learn and model who God is to our children, how will we learn? And the woman spoke up and said, well, I, you know, I didn't really have a good model of a father, and I'm guessing, I'm hoping God will teach me. <laughs> I thought... That's a good answer. That's a good answer. During the Last Supper discourse in Scripture, Jesus mentions the word Father 44 times. In his high priestly prayer, he mentions the word Father six times. It runs all throughout the Gospels. I will ask the Father, Father, the time has come. Do you think I couldn't ask for my father for 12 legions of angels? Jesus treasured the freedom and the intimacy that he had with his father. It was his tank filler. It was his refuge. It was his lifeline. His communication with the father. And so it's not a surprise to us that every recorded prayer of Jesus is addressed to Father. Every recorded prayer of Jesus is addressed to Father, except for one, when he was on the cross being crucified, when he intentionally stepped into our guilt and alienation with God. And it's at that point the thing that he treasured most was cut off. It was prayer, and instead he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? only time we don't hear him referring to God as Father. And it's that suffering, that atonement, by which he overcomes the guilt of our sin and enables us to be sons and daughters with the full rights and privileges thereof, therein, where we can speak to the Father like he speaks to the Father. This is what he gives us. You know, John Bunyan, who has a special place in my heart because uh, uh, he was sort of a compulsive dude and dealt with chronic guilt. And I can relate to that. He was the author of Pilgrim's Progress, some of you know. He wrote, Oh, how great a task it is for a poor soul to become sensible of sin and the wrath of God to say in faith but this one word, Father. But here is the life of prayer. He understood that's where it began. 
And it's what Jesus models to us. The disciples, I imagine, they had been watching Jesus and they had been hearing him communicate to the Father and they were envious of his intimacy. They were envious of what he had. And they said, teach us to pray. And he didn't give them a how-to, he gave them a who-to. He said, begin by saying, our Father. I want you to understand who it is that you're praying And it's this very thing, this theology of adoption, this theology of fatherhood that undergirds all of Christian prayer. And you see it with all the writers, the apostles of Scripture. John, we have an advocate with the Father. Peter, since you call on a father. Paul, for this reason I kneel before the Father. James, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, understanding that the Father is good and gives good gifts. Do you hear that? This is what you and I are invited into. We're called into. This is the reason that Jesus died so that you could speak to God like he does. That's why. So you could speak to the Father. Our prayer life is only as good as our doctrine of adoption. But it also really makes us ask the question... And I think uh, our God at work testimony, Leah, brought it up so beautifully with her questions at the end. What do I believe about the nature and character of God? What do I believe about my relationship with him? In many ways, I felt like uh, the, the spirit was doing what he does best. He was writing my sermon for me with the help of someone else. And so Jesus says in verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Right? You have this picture of fishermen, and the net opens up, and there's fish everywhere, and there's all these other sea creatures, and there's a snake, and the, and the uh, son maybe sees his favorite fish and says, Can we have that one for dinner? What father's going to go, No, you're going to have the snake. Pick up the snake. Maybe an abusive father would And so he tells a parable to try to help us understand this of a friend who was awoken unexpectedly late at night by a neighbor who needs some bread, needs some food. And a little bit of cultural context helps us really understand this thing. Um, You know, in that time in history and in that particular region, it wasn't uncommon for people to travel at night because it was just so hot. But it was uncommon for that region where Jesus is speaking, because it was near the sea. And so there would have been a breeze. That's one of the reasons why the the man wasn't expecting anybody to show up late at night. But someone shows up late at night, and, uh, you know, he doesn't have anything to eat. Now, in our modern ears, we think, what's the big deal? You just say, listen, I didn't have time to go to Harris Teeter. I've got some eggs here. You know, we got a little bit of tea. But there's two things about that culture we need to understand. One, hospitality was a big deal. And number two, bread wasn't just something to eat, right? It was the fork and the spoon. It was the utensil. You took the bread, you dipped it in, and you ate. And there was no double dipping. You were supposed to get a new piece of bread every time that you dipped in. And so he needs some bread. And and because they're living in a community and bread making was a communal thing, he has a sense of who, you know, made bread and probably how much they made. Maybe he asked his wife. She sent, sent him over to the Joneses. Said, go on over there. And so he knocks on the door. Knocks on the door. 
He's hoping he's knocking on heaven's door, but he, he gets a different response, right? The guy says, listen, I can't help you. And there we get a little, you know, view into the home. It was probably a peasant home. There's one floor. They're all in there sleeping. He's like, it's late at night. The homes are close together. I'm going to wake everybody up. I can't do that. But then Jesus says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give anything because he's a friend. But because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, impudence means nerve or persistence. In the ancient Greek, it had a a sense of shame. Now, Again, I think for modern people, here's how we understand the shame. It would be, you know, the nerve of that guy. He didn't make enough bread and now he's knocking on my door and waking me up. But the ancient audience would have had the exact different opposite. They would have said the nerve of that guy not getting up and helping his friend. Because hospitality was a matter of honor. It was not just in the home. It was a matter of social armor. It was shameful not to. So Jesus says, even though he won't do it out of friendship, he'll do it to save face. He'll do it so that he won't dishonor his name. And here's the beautiful lesson for you and me. And that's it. That God has not only called you friend, and not only has God made himself your father, he has made your prayer a matter of his honor. He has made your prayer a matter of his honor. It would be shame to him not to respond and attend to the voice of his child. And this is how you see all the great prayers in the Bible. They go from that angle. You know, you and I, we mistakenly, you know, sort of like say, all right, how can I gather together a good resume for God right now? You know, I, you know, God, you know, I've done better within the last couple months. I haven't sinned in that particular way. And I'm pretty involved in my church. I mean, don't you remember last week that person in my community group said, you know, I, your prayer really blessed me. Do you remember that? You know, so we gather all these things together and we say, God, because of a matter of my honor, answer this prayer. But all the great prayers didn't do that. They knew better. Because they knew they weren't that great. Instead, they argued on the basis of his honor. You remember when we studied uh, the, the promises of God and the Puritans had a lovely word for this. They said they would sue God. They would sue God based on the fact that, you know, they belonged to him and they had his name. And so, the psalmist tells us no one that ever seeks the Lord will ever be put to shame. We have a faithful father... And you have been invited into that relationship. But second of all, he's an attentive father. I think it's natural after you hear that part. I don't know if you did, but I would. Okay, Glenn, if he's that faithful father, how come, you know, I've prayed for healing for this person like I have and continue to do and they don't get healed. I've prayed about wanting a child. I don't have a child. I've prayed about wanting a spouse. I don't have a spouse. I've prayed about release from this addiction. It hasn't happened. What do we do with that? Well, there's a theme that runs through the scripture where the Lord argues that he is not an impersonal God. Back then, the impersonal 
God figure were these wooden idols, right? Metal idols that people would have. And we shouldn't do the primitives so wrong. It wasn't like they were looking at that thing saying, you're God, you're God. It was basically a symbol, an emblem, something they could go to to make them, you know, pray to the gods up there. But the Lord maintains you're talking to something that's impersonal. He would say, your idols can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. If you're familiar with that great colossal battle that happened in 1 Kings between Elijah the prophet and the prophets of Baal, the whole thing was about, does God hear? That's what the whole battle was about. They keep shouting. They cut themselves. Their God doesn't hear. Elijah simply raises his voice and God responds. But there are other ways that we can treat God as impersonal. And that is where we lapse into what I would call more of a vendor-customer relationship with him. Um, This past year, we had to get our oven fixed. And when the guy came up to fix the oven, you know, I I established a rapport with him. I was friendly to him. I said, hey, would you like a glass of water? I think he was wearing a redskin shirt. We began to talk a little bit about football. Uh, He heard I was going on a vacation. He said, I hope you have a good... You know, we were friendly. But that wasn't the reason he was there, right? He was there to provide a service. And if he didn't provide the service, our relationship would have been on the outs. Right? We wouldn't have been at the same place. Now compare that to your relationship with a friend or a parent or a sibling. Now, they serve and we serve them, but that's not the basis of the relationship. The relationship's there, the service comes after. So here's my question for you. How do you know if your relationship with God is the first or the second? How do you know? In some ways, the best way to know is unanswered prayer. It's one of the ways that God teaches us. While prayer does have the request element, element, right? Of course it does. And God invites us to bring those. And you heard Jesus saying that. Ask and seek. What parent would not want their child to come and ask them things? What aunt or uncle? What adult that has a child? Who wouldn't? Of course they would. But it's foremost relational and not transactional. And the evidence of the relationship is not that you've been serviced, but you've been heard. That's the evidence of the relationship. It's not that you got what you wanted to get, but you were attended to. Now, it's clear that God gives us far more gifts than we even think to ask of. I'm guessing not many of us woke up and said, thank you, God, that I'm still breathing this morning. Thank you, God, that I was able to fill in the blanks of all the things that God gives us. Or thank you for that unexpected moment where I saw, you know, this little puppy walk by and I got to play with him and it brought the light to my heart. Thank you for the friend that called or email. Thank you for that, you know, unexpected, 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 unexpected. God says that he gives us things before we even know to ask. What a delight. But prayer is FaceTime before it's Amazon Prime. Um, Prayer is connection this way before it's me filling my cart and hitting purchase and going, you got two days, right? You got two days to get here. And so here's the question as you're monitoring your emotions. Does my joy and comfort come more from being heard with the Father 
or just getting the thing? Where's my emotional stance? Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me. That was his joy. I have this quote from Andrew Murray in your bulletin. The power of prayer rests in the faith that God hears it. One great reason of lack of prayer is the want of the living and joyous assurance my God will hear me. Now, to be fair, you know, there's reasons why God might not hear you. I don't know if you've ever done a study on that. It's part of Stuart's book where I was like, wow, that's good. God may not hear you because of willful disobedience. He might not hear us because of unbelief. He might not hear us because of hypocritical religion. He might not hear us because of a disregard for justice. He might not hear us because of disunity. He might not hear us because of unforgiveness in our heart. He might not hear us because we have an unchristian marriage in the way we behave toward our spouse. You know, out in the world, the customer's always right. Right? If you've been on that other end of the phone, these poor agents, right? They, whatever, whatever gets dished out to them, they got to take it. And if they lash back at you, it used to be they'd really get in trouble, right? I still think it probably is that. God doesn't work that way. He has the right to say, I'm not going to hear you. He has the right to say no. And I want you to think about this for a second. What was the greatest prayer request that Jesus ever brought to God the Father? It was the night before he was going to be murdered. And what was the answer to that prayer? It was no. It's not my will, my son. I suppose at that point Jesus could have said, this relationship's a farce. But he ended by saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You've heard it said, we can bear to be refused, but not to be ignored. Because there's something in the hearing that communicates dignity and love and as if I'm communicated. You know, over the years, like you, I have prayed many prayers. Many prayers. I have prayed prayers for decades. Some I've prayed just for a few minutes. Some were dramatically and specifically answered. Financial need. Healing, life decisions. Others, I'm still waiting on. Some came on the schedule I wanted. Some came 10, 15, 20 years later, especially with regard to ministry and music. And some were no. But you and I were never ignored. How do I know that? Where does the confidence come? Well, it can't come from the request being answered. Any more than I could take the receipt for my oven being fixed and saying, hey, this is evidence of a relationship. It's not because the service was rendered. It operates more like when a close friend gives you a gift. What does that do? You know, when a close friend gives you a gift, it's not evident that they're a close friend. It's just sort of like cherry on top of the Sunday, isn't it? It's a blessing. Now, I don't want to be lighthearted about our needs. We're needy people. So I don't think spirituality is I just float around and I don't ask God for things. That's heresy. You know, that's sort of like a husband saying to a wife, you know, honey, 
Because you're assured of my unconditional love for you, uh, there will be no gifts in this marriage. Right? Try that, if you want to try that. And then we'll see you for counseling. The condition of the relationship is being heard. So listen to 1 John. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's the confidence. I'm heard. Yet, because God's nature is so gracious, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask to him. I surely and firmly believe that anything and everything that aligns with God's glory and good, he will give you in some form and in some time. I have no doubt about that. I think that's what Jesus was saying there. But let's not forget what he said at the end of the parable. For those that ask the good Father, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. And that is a key term to remind us it's about relationship. The greatest thing he could give me is himself in the person of his spirit, his presence, his love. God has made our prayer that honor. So I think maybe what this means is in the context of this relationship with a father who hears and is faithful. We freely ask for all sorts of stuff. We do our best to make sure it aligns with what's good, true, and beautiful according to God. If you're not going to do that, you know, don't pray. you got bigger problems. If you're intentionally praying for things you know are contrary to what's good and true and just and loving. But if you are, you ask those things... And you believe on the Father. And then after you say it, you go, but I'm so thankful for our relationship. I'm so thankful I have you in the end of the day. Because these needs are going to change. Right? This week's needs will not be five years from now. You think about when you were a little kid and you said, oh man, I want those skates so badly. I want this so badly. Is that hanging up your prayer life right now? Probably not. The needs keep changing. The Father is unchanging. Praise God for that. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you hear and what you have made us to be for you. In Christ's name, amen.